0: Welcome to Good Patron, a production of UTR Media. I am your host, Garrett Godfrey, and on this show, I explore what it means to be a good patron, asking how each of us can be a good patron to bands and musicians we appreciate. We're glad you're here, so stick around, because we have got some exploring to do. This is episode 50, and if you saw the episode title, you already know some of the artists I'll be covering. But here is the full rundown. I will be covering campaigns and pre-orders for music by a Rich Mullins tribute album, Elise Massa, Bill Maloney, a Starflyer 59 tribute album, Fan and Flame, Chris and Brianna Lindsay, Ordinary Time, Allie Rogers, Mandy Mapes, and Tiffany Dawn Brewer, with links for all of these active campaigns in the show notes. And I'll have a tip for one way you can be a good patron and issue you a challenge. But first, I want to tell you about our Spotlight campaign. The music of Rich Mullins had a big impact when he was alive, and even now, almost 25 years after his death, his music continues to have a big impact among his fans, both old and new, among those who knew and toured with him, among those who have followed in his musical footsteps. And as we approach the 25th anniversary of his passing, Old Bear Records is putting out an 18-track Rich Mullins tribute album, and UTR Media's own Dave Trout has been working on it with him. Now, I had a conversation with Dave just a couple days ago about it, and I wanted to share it with you. A lot of the conversation is about this campaign particularly, and I want you to pay attention when we talk about the stretch goals. But some of the conversation is more applicable to campaigns in general. So Here is my conversation with Dave Trout about the Rich Mullins tribute album campaign. Thanks, Dave, for being on. I know from listening to your podcast release date that you've wanted to do a Rich Mullins tribute album for a while, but then you encountered somebody else who was looking to do the same thing. So how long have you been thinking about this and how did it end up that you all ended up working together?
1: Yeah, uh, I think the genesis of just my thoughts about it was right around the 19th anniversary of Rich's passing, which would would have been 2016, and then um, and and kind of thinking as far as I know, I there wasn't, I didn't know of any projects that were coming out for the 20th, so it was like we should do something, and I was thinking very small scale um, very much like I wasn't even thinking of like a full national release of anything, just sort of, a, we could do something on the side through our website, you know, have some artists send in some demo tracks, kind of a
0: thing. Like a noise trade compilation or... That's
1: exactly what I was thinking. Something like that, at least just to do something. And, and then it started to snowball into a, a project and we got some cool people involved, like like Reed Arvin and Andrew Peterson and Jason Gray and 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 sort of my the person that was going to kind of spearhead that project is Andrew Greer who is a singer-songwriter and author but also just like a really savvy business person just knows a lot of people in the industry and he was going to kind of help to drive the ship and so and and I just I've been a friend of Andrew's for like 13 years or something so he's super easy for me to work with. Um, we're just a good team. So I was excited about that. It, you know, And we we started the release date podcast kind of chronicling that journey. And then it just sort of stalled out. We just didn't have the funding. We didn't have sort of the time. There were just too many visions to kind of try to harness it all in. And it ended up just sort of stalling out probably around summer of 2018. So it's kind of been, you know, just it's for a cup for about a year and a half or so, um, just sort of nothing happened. And um, we would check in every now and again to see if everybody still, still was like, yeah, let's, let's still make it happen, but it'll just, it'll have to be more of a, you know, lightning in a bottle moment. And then while we were in the waiting period, I connected with Chris Hoisington of Brothers McClurg, who also is a co-founder of Old Bear Records, and he just casually mentioned to me one day we were just talking about other projects. He said, "I think we're going to start doing a uh, we're going to start work on a Rich Mullins tribute project," and I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold the phone!" Not saying like don't do it, just saying we're we're sort of in a you know, we've taken a few steps with his other project. It seems to be going kind of nowhere, treading water a bit. And he explained his vision and his concept. And I said, that actually sounds much more achievable and a much more like clear, cohesive vision for a project than the one we're trying to come up with. So I said, I would be willing to sort of shift my attention from that other project. That's kind of stalled to, to your project, if you would like to have me kind of as part of the team. And he was like, absolutely, let's do this. And then only a few days later, I recruited Andrew Greer, who was helping to kind of run the other project to come on over to the old bear side of things and help with this project. And, it, you know, in essence, one of my questions was, are we sort of both trying to do the same thing? And there were differences in the vision, but overall I think that this project actually satisfies what we were intending to do with the original project. So um, we just kind of linked ourselves with something that was more achievable and we felt like could get get to the finish line.
0: Gotcha. Can, can you list out, you, you talked a little bit about his vision. Uh, can you list out who will be involved with the project and then describe that overall vibe or feel of these recordings? Because it is different than what you initially thought of.
1: Yeah. Um, And really uh, Chris Hoisington was mostly inspired by Rich Mullen's last recording, which, which now we know as the Jesus record demos where Rich just recorded um, these unreleased songs that he had written onto a cassette deck. And, um, and that was the, that was the only copy of it. And, uh, and now it's sort of like this sacred piece of recording that has never meant to be heard, really. It was just sort of a a work tape. And now millions of people have heard it and have been blessed by it. And and part of the reason why it's special is just because there's no frills to it. There's no studio shebang. It's, It's just raw rich. It's him, one instrument, his vocals on a cassette deck. And there's something beautiful about the simplicity of that. So I think that Chris Hoisington thought let's try to capture some of that and then after some exploring we determined it'd be fun to and possible to do that in Rich's old house in Tennessee wow. just about 40 minutes west of Nashville and so he stayed true we all stayed true to that vision we actually even recorded these songs to cassettes and of course some digital equipment as well, you know, just to, you know, we kind of, kind of mix the two to make it sound really nice, but also you can, every track you're going to hear a little bit of that tape hiss in the background. And just, nice. uh, we, we wanted to have a little more grittiness to this and then it's not a clean studio project. It's very much outside the industry and we feel like it kind of allowed the artist's passion to shine through these songs because it's just a very more simple, sparse instrumentation and recording, but very beautifully done, just more in a folk singer-songwriter style. So some of the people involved are including... Uh, uh, you're, you're asking about artists yeah. involved? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we have folks like um, Amy Grant, Jason Gray, Sarah Groves, Carolyn Aarons, Andrew Peterson... Kevin Max, of course, Brothers McClurg, Mitch McVicker, Steve Cudworth, who was actually the original co-writer of If I Stand, and, and he did a great version of that song. David Mullins, Rich's brother, and his nephew, Jonathan Mullins, are on a song. Um, and I, I'm sure there's about, um, I mean, Andrew Osenga, Taylor Linhart, there's there's probably about five or six or seven others that I haven't mentioned it's, it's a lot of folks involved. Some of them have their own song and some of them are kind of like featured or are kind of a duo trio kind of thing. we paired some artists to make it. The whole thing has felt like a really cool community project.
0: So how did that collection of artists come about? I mean, did they just put the word out in the community and these are the folks that responded or did you guys hand pick artists and say, we want you to be a part of this or like, how, how did that come about?
1: Yeah, it it almost 100% came about through relationships with the people behind the scenes like Andrew Greer, Brothers McClurg, myself, people that we already knew and had relationship with because we really wanted the project to be built on community and relationship. So you know, we just immediately thought of several people that would be that and and we we wanted everybody involved in the project to have either known rich played with rich or are kind of like a next generation they've been inspired by rich we didn't pick anybody just because it's like they're a great singer they're gonna sound good on this no we didn't do that at all and we didn't pick anybody because we thought it's gonna like be a big name draw or anything like that it's it was all kind of centered around rich and And we let the artists pick the song that they wanted to do on the project. We didn't say like, Hey, we want you to do this thing. Gotcha. Um, uh, So it really was music that, that connected with them personally, which is cool for this reason. If you see the track list, you're going to say, wow, there's a lot of Rich Mullins quote unquote hit songs that are not represented here. And there's also a lot of songs I don't think I've ever heard before, like a lot of deep cuts or even songs that Rich didn't record. So, so there's songs, there's a, there's a song that he, uh, a couple of songs that he uh, recorded with another artist. And that other artist is the one that released it. And that some people might not even know that Rich Mullins, you know, co-wrote or wrote the song. You know, we even have a song from the Canticles of the Plane on the album. So we, we definitely do deep cuts, but it's all songs that have, really impacted those artists specifically. And so it's going to breathe, I think, new life into just people discovering the depth of the catalog of Rich Mullins.
0: So now this campaign hit its $60,000 base goal in less than 24 hours. What was it like to experience that kind of flood of support just on day one?
1: This campaign is insanity. It's unbelievable, man. I Just to see... You know, I can tell you that we just, none of us expected this. None of us saw that amount of support coming in that quickly. We fully hoped and expected that we were going to hit the goal. I mean, we wouldn't do the campaign if we didn't think that was likely, but we did not think in our wildest dreams it would happen in one day. So we were just floored and, and I mean, just grateful, grateful, even more than the money Grateful to see so many people show up so fast. It just showed an excitement and enthusiasm from from the fans of Rich Mullins and some of the fans of these artists to say, I'm in, I'm in, let's do it right now. Uh, they didn't have to be told, you know, 15 times or whatever. Yeah. It's it's to me just really, really remarkable.
0: Now you had a handful of tiers that were twenty-five percent off, but only during those first forty-eight hours. Do you feel that helped drive that initial push to just like nudge people to act now?
1: I do. I mean I mean you you already know the answer to this, which is you know, we borrowed that from Cademan's call, because they did a twenty-four hour sale on some of their tiers, and that actually did make me hit the the support button. That first day, I didn't even learn about the campaign until it was in the second half of that first day. But I quickly was in because I was like, oh, I want to get in one of these deals. So we we thought it would be a little bit harder to get the word out to the community for our campaign because the Rich Mullins community is so broad and so wide. It's not just like one fan base. Yeah. So we gave it 48 hours uh, just to kind of give it a little more breathing room. And I think it did help not only for folks to kind of Make the decision, but also I think it also spurred people to share it, to say, "Hey, get in on these you know early discounts so i 'm not sure that it would would work for every campaign and for all artists, but I think in the right setting that it 's a great idea for for an artist to implement into their
0: campaign so just a few days later, you hit your first stretch goal of ninety thousand dollars yeah and today Saturday uh, the fourth you 're sitting at over 114,000. Yeah. The next target is $120,000. I've got to think that there's $6,000 out there that'll happen probably in a couple of days. Yeah. What's the, what has that been like? I mean, that's double the initial goal. Yeah. And then what kind of bonus does that $120,000 stretch goal unlock?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, to be at double the goal, we really we really went into this wanting to hit that 120,000 mark and there's a couple of reasons why one is that everybody was willing to take an extremely reduced rate for their services to to make this project and for us to keep it at that $60,000 budget. And in all reality, after all the fulfillment and stuff of Kickstarter, that $60,000 alone wasn't going to cut it in terms of, you know, we, we really needed it to go higher. And so so that... Helps. I mean, no one's pocketing. Like, it looks like it's like, whoa, you guys are rich now. No, it's no one's pocketing a a lot of money out of this. It's it's not a money grab at all. Um, but everyone should be able to get paid a more reasonable, like, in not I, I wouldn't say industry, but you know what what their going rates would be f- to help with. Producing, mixing, mastering, um, graphic design, all the kind of behind the scenes jobs that are associated with it.
0: Taking over someone's house for weeks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've, I mean, that was, that was all all generosity. I mean, that, that was even, they didn't, I don't think we were even charged a fee to do that. So the cool thing is that that generosity can be a bit rewarded now. We can just make sure that everyone gets a fair wage. Um, No one's pocketing lots of money. But, It also unlocks a new project that we are able to release in partnership with Rich Mullen's early music and the Ragamuffin Archive. Uh, One of Rich's dear friends, Beth Snell Lutz, uh, who was actually in his first band in college called Zion. Beth has just gobs, literally boxes of cassette tape recordings that she um, has, uh, that she Most of them she personally recorded of Rich performing songs, whether it's um, in concert or sometimes in in like a practice studio, um, sometimes in his house, just various settings. And she was actually entrusted with a rare recording of a Rich Mullins concert from 1984 at Deep Valley Christian Camp. And it's, it's one of the higher recording... Higher quality recordings we have of Rich from almost 40 years ago. Wow. And, and, you know, these are, this would be the very early days of his solo career. And, um, so he was kind of cutting his teeth on learning how to interact with audiences, share stories, play live solo, not with a band. And it, it's a beautiful recording that no one has ever heard. It's going to be called Deep Valley. And if we hit that hundred twenty thousand mark, which hopefully by the time this podcast comes out we're, we're we'll be past that amount, then we can do a full release of that album, including digital streaming, CD, and vinyl. And it'll be the first Rich Mullins album in I think like over twenty years, even counting like compilations and stuff. And um, it'll be the first Rich Mullins album on vinyl. In I think about 35 years. Wow. So this is special.
0: That's incredible. Now I had a friend ask me about that stretch goal for deep Valley and he was actually frustrated because he wanted to, to just back at the music level. And it looked like the only way to get that was to back the campaign at a non-music level with, with other stuff. But you guys addressed that on the very second day of the campaign with your second update. Can you explain how that works for folks who are interested in getting Deep Valley without having to buy in at a non-music tier? Totally. So we have, um, and and it's not, we're not specifically saying
1: that we're, we're looking at it as music and non-music. We just kind of had a certain level of, of commitment in the campaign. You know, a certain, I, I think it may be like the $80 level or whatever it is and higher have kind of what we call a stretch plus on it. So That all the people that give at that level and all the way to the top, um, they're going to automatically get any stretch rewards that we have from here on out. Um, No matter what, I mean, we're going to aim higher and have more stretch goals and we're going to see how far this campaign can go. And whatever stretch rewards we have, they'll just automatically get it without having to put another dollar into their commitments. That's awesome. If folks just want a CD or just want vinyl, and then they they want this project as well, but they didn't want to give at the higher level, we're going to add both the CD and vinyl of Deep Valley into the add-ons of the campaign. So if someone has already given, I think there's a manage your pledge button on Kickstarter. You can just, you could go to add it onto your pledge and then it will adjust your total gift, you know, through Kickstarter. So that'll be an easy adjustment, but we're not there yet. So we got to get right. to the stretch goal. And then I said, just give us a, what, a couple of days beyond that to kind of figure out
0: how to get all that built in.
1: Well, I don't even know that we even have had the discussion about the exact price points of, of what Deep Valley will, will be. So, you know, there's just a couple of things behind the scenes we have to kind of iron out and then we'll very quickly put it in the add-on section so folks can hop in and kind of pre-order that through Kickstarter.
0: That is cool. Yeah. Now, this campaign had fantastic press right out of the gate by fellow podcasters, bloggers, Christian music news sites, and a lot of the artists involved did a good bit of sharing about the campaign as well. How did all that happen?
1: Well, the easy answer is Rich Mullins made it happen. I mean, Rich Mullins transcends every sector of the industry. The indie artists feel like Rich is his. You know, CCM artists think Rich is his, and uh, you know it doesn't matter what denomination you are or anything. Like Rich, just connects with such a wide group of people. So any news and about Rich Mullins is going to perk people's you know eyes and ears about what's going on. Of course, there was some work behind the scenes to make that happen. Um, we we definitely contacted all the industry and and websites and press people that we knew and all of us kind of worked those angles. And so it was very cool though, to see hardly any resistance and just like, wow, this is cool news. In fact, some of the websites without us even asking them made it sort of one of their featured stories on their website. So we're totally blessed by that. And that just helps, you know, it's it's very cool first of all to see this is a totally indie project i mean old bear records is a record label but they're an indie record label yeah. they do everything grassroots style and the whole thing was recorded you know out, outside of nashville in bellsburg tennessee it just it has a um a very sort of non-industry feel to it and so it's it's very cool to see everybody we talk to inside the industry seems to have a very welcoming spirit about it and not like, ah, you, you did this, you know, it's not on one of the major labels or it's not, you know, everyone is sort of like, this is cool. This is special. It feels very different. And that's a good thing. Like we, I think there have been some other Rich Mullins tributes that just didn't even necessarily feel distinct or different. And this one has such a uniqueness to it that I think it. I think the vi- the vision of it really has connected with people.
0: Now I know because I'm on the UTR mailing list. Yeah, that you guys had told folks ahead of time this was coming, and you even had that pre-save button where I could click to say, "Hey Kickstarter, please email me the second this goes live." Yeah. First, let me just say I think that's fantastic. I think every artist out there. Should be doing that and notifying their fan base ahead of time to get that early jump, but were you able to see how many folks had pre saved to what was that response like yeah
1: it would it just sort of climbed day by day i mean we we did it only not even a full week ahead of uh the campaign, but i'm so glad we did it, and I believe we were i know we were over a hundred people wow um that awesome. that that had saved it. And then it actually even climbed higher after the campaign went live. Cause I think pe- you can still sort of like follow the campaign and yeah. And even if you're not a backer, I think you can follow the campaign. And so I think within the first couple hours of the campaign, I, I looked at the number again and it was like 140 or so. Wow. So I agree with you. I think more artists should do it. And I did it. I did it myself just to see what it would be like for the user side of it. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, literally the the second we hit go live with the Kickstarter campaign, it shot an email directly to everybody's inbox and said the campaign is live. And so without any announcements on social media or anywhere, we saw a couple dozen backers in just the first few minutes, without any announcements, that email blast was the only thing, and it just immediately brought the first wave of backers into the into the door. That's huge. That's
0: great. Yeah. Now you had uh, probably maybe another uh, motivation for people to to act fast because you guys had talked about. Uh, Rich Mullins weekend experience, and there was a tier. It's it's gone now. There was a tier for Rich molin 's weekend experience at the five hundred and fifty dollars level, with twenty slots, and that was it. And and now it's already gone in in a matter of days. How quickly did that go? And did you expect it to go that fast?
1: We officially had sixty slots because we had thirty slots of of like a single ticket, and then the next tier after that was two tickets. We had 15 of those available. So we had 60 total and we did not expect it to go this fast. Totally. I mean, we we were just crossing our fingers that, that there'd be good response and that we wanted to fill out because we knew how special this weekend was going to be. We haven't really announced any of the artists or, and we're still tying up a lot of loose ends with that. So we didn't want to make any promises, but it's going to be very cool. And so I knew that if people just sort of caught the vision and jumped in, they'd be so happy that they did it. And what happened was that the couples package sold out the quickest. And so we upped the number on the couples tickets. And then we realized Kickstarter does not let you lower the number of individual tickets. So we couldn't lower the single ticket package. So we ended up eventually sort of closing that early because there was i think so so we and we ended up expanding to 70 so we have i think 50 couples and 20 singles that that are signed wow. up wow now here's the crazy thing at the time of this recording i don't know what's going to happen exactly because it's just a brand last night was the first time this ever came up but probably by the time this podcast comes out there's a good chance we might be adding more weekend tickets to the experience. Our biggest limitation is the size of the group that we can have at his house in Bellsburg. In fact, that the group that's coming, we probably have to break them up into two or two groups and kind of do a couple waves. Yeah. And so we we're talking now about, is it possible to maybe even create a third wave that could come and would open up about 20 to 30 additional slots for oh, cool. that weekend. So this isn't even just like baiting people, but I I encourage everyone to check the campaign as quick as they can just to see if they missed out on that weekend and want to be a part. Yeah. Um, we're, we're hopefully opening up more tickets literally from the time
0: of this recording sometime in the next couple of days. Tell me a little bit there's an album release concert option and then a possibility of other concerts around this project with further stretch goals. Right. Can you talk about that a little?
1: Yeah. So we definitely are going to be doing a, and I don't even know if I, I mean, it is sort of an album release concert, but really it's just sort of a Rich Mullen celebration concert on September 18th in Nashville, which is going to be a part of that weekend. Uh, which is the 16th, 17th, 18th of, of September. And that final night will be an open to the public concert that will be both, you know, you can get an in person ticket for. And then we're also going to partner with Compassion International to do a live stream worldwide of that concert. Tickets for that, we're, we're pre selling some tickets for that through the Kickstarter for folks who just want to get in on it now, but then eventually compassion will sell tickets for that live stream way down the road, you know, late August, something like that. So it, it will happen. And then, so this is, this is an example of, I think the good stewardship that I've seen exhibited through old bear records and the rest of the team. But, you know, anybody could just sort of let this campaign momentum roll and just sort of, have extra funds to cover their, you know, cover their rent and their other expenses. And instead, Old Bear is thinking, as, as this campaign has gone beyond our expectation, let's have a creative output that's beyond our expectation as well. And let's see Bellsburg, the the artistic community that's built through Bellsburg, let's see that expand and grow as this, as the funds allow us to grow. And so every day new creative ideas are being thrown out about now look what we can do now, look what we can do. And there's, it's, there's never been an instance of like, Ooh, I can pocket more money out of this. It's right. all been, how can we pour this? How can we pour these extra funds back into this incredible Bellsberg kind of community that's being built? And, and so the, one of the most natural things once we, you know, get past that deep Valley stretch goal, I think everyone agreed that the most natural way to build community is to take these songs out on the road. And we're looking at possibly having kind of multiple artists, not the whole album, but maybe, you know, three, four, five artists able to to travel to different cities across the country and share this music and just invite people into a ritual and celebration opportunity. And so Uh, we don't want it to just be for Nashville only. We want to be able to to share this with everybody and the live stream is going to help with that. But I think to do something in person, you know, and, and to make it available like, Oh, now I only have to drive an hour instead of a flight to Nashville or something. It just makes a big difference. And so now, now the campaign, if we, if we keep hitting these future stretch goals, it's going to allow us to afford our own travel so that we can, bring the Bellsberg concert experience to you.
0: That's awesome. Now I've got a question for you kind of outside this project. I know you personally have backed a lot of campaigns and I know you've helped advise artists that are kind of preparing to launch their own campaigns, but was this your first time being this deeply involved in a campaign like this? This
1: is, I've never had anything quite like this. Like this experience is unique and I've never had anything that this, at this scale, UTR uh, has done uh, one Kickstarter campaign several years ago. I think we had a modest like $16,000, $14,000 goal or something like that. So nothing at this scale, I've done other small crowdfunding campaigns myself. Like you said, I've advised some artists on their Kickstarters. And then I've done some general fundraising just for UTR as a nonprofit. But this is this has just been a totally different and unique experience. And I will tell you that that being a backer of other people's campaigns helped to make this campaign successful. And I mean I'll I'll just thank you, Garrett, because literally, you know, three quarters of the campaigns that I learn about come from you and this podcast. So I'm grateful to have been a backer just to just for the sake of those projects alone, but it also through the many years of, of supporting a number of projects, um, it's really helped me to understand what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. And so we built this campaign from the ground up very meticulously and, and very, uh, you know, I mean, we had, I think 18 tiers, which I don't advise to everyone, but in this case, you know, we spanned from ten dollars to ten thousand dollars, yeah. And and so we, there had to be a lot of tiers. But the last campaign I I uh, I supported was the Cademan's Call campaign, and here I'm I'm even taking tips and learning from that experience. So and that was so recently, yeah. It's very recent, but I think that that just taking a posture of learning and growing and sharing, you know, the things that work actually can help the campaign be successful. So I'm just really grateful that I've had the opportunity to to kind of take what I've learned and put it into this.
0: So based on the stuff you've been learning from this campaign now, yeah. what new advice would you give to artists after this campaign that you wouldn't have thought of before?
1: Well, I, I would definitely say that anybody launching into a campaign should give themselves the the leeway and the time to make it their full-time job. I mean, it really is. It takes a full-time effort. Even a smaller campaign, sometimes those are hard. You have to knock on more doors and do more work and, and get get the word out and and kind of drive that a little bit more. So, I think you. I think you just have to carve out that month or so, whatever the campaign is. Carve out that month and be like, I'm going to say no to some things. I'm going to clear out my calendar the best that I can. And really put several hours every day into this. Always thinking about how can I put this in front of people. How can I kindly encourage them to share it? And and I even in this campaign, even though we're past the goal, I'm doing that every single day, spending eight to ten hours a day at least, just thinking about ways to continue to get the word out. And because conti- because I I'm convinced we're only a few days into this campaign, I'm convinced there's a lot of Rich Mullins fans who haven't even found the campaign yet. Even though the support has been amazing so far, I'm thinking already who hasn't heard about it. Let's keep getting the word out. So it really does just take a big effort. You just have to carve out the time for it.
0: So it's, it's funny you talk about the rich Mullins fans that still might not even know about this campaign yet and wanting to spread the word. I think that's really true. It was an out of the gray crowdfunding campaign in 2014. And I, I'd been backing campaigns ever since uh, it was like a Lifesavers Underground campaign in 2011 that got me to sign up for Kickstarter. Mm. But somehow that Out of the Gray campaign came and went, and I didn't even know about it. Yeah. And that's what made me say, is there a blog? Is there a website? Is there a podcast, a YouTube channel, like somebody that's covering active crowdfunding campaigns so I don't mm. miss out um, yeah. that got me even thinking about something like Good Patron to to spread the word, and I in, ended up going back to the out of the gray website, and I was able to buy that CD. But yeah. like for a lot of these, the only way you're going to get the physical merch is if you're in on the Kickstarter right. during that really small window. So I right. I think you're absolutely right. I bet there are quite a few Rich Mullins fans who would be interested in this, who will probably find it on Apple Music or Spotify or titles, you know, later. Yeah, but who would probably want to get vinyl or CD or some of these other options.
1: This is another piece of encouragement for other artists. And I think that I've encountered this many times. It kind of goes to your out of the gray example, which is some artists, I think, feel reluctant about self-promotion and uh, and when they're doing a Kickstarter, they think, well, I don't want to bombard people. And then they think, well, a bunch of people already gave. I don't want them to have to see my messages over and over again and my encouragement would just be just keep giving your message every single day for the whole campaign and everyone is giving you the permission to do it yep. the people who have already given they're cheering you on they want to see us succeed they're no one's feeling bombarded and i think i think if if we can get let that voice out of our head just to, to think that oh this is just too much self promotion just be like no this is a special campaign and everyone is giving you the grace to talk about it as much as you want this month, go for it. And so yeah, I think more artists need to be freed up to really get the word out and really, and even tap into people to be like, Hey, could you um, help spread even privately message, email, text people and say, Hey, I just launched this campaign or I'm going to launch this campaign. Would you be willing to spread the word the first day or two or whatever? I did that myself. I I emailed and texted a bunch of people to say, "Hey, could you be an early texter and you know we just want to get as many eyeballs on this early on." And um, so you you get by with a little help from your friends. So just don't be afraid to tap into people and be like, "Hey, you know, could you do this favor for me?" And I I'm telling you, I've seen it happen. Like not everybody can do it or is able to do it, but but. I think maybe three quarters of the people that I contacted got involved in the campaign and then spread the word about it.
0: I have a friend who's such a fan of Rich Mullins music that uh, she actually went to Nashville for a special event. I think it would have been for the 20th okay, anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. And so I made sure she knew right away, but I'd also put the campaign on my Facebook wall. And one of my friends that I never would have pegged as a Rich Mullins fan, like within minutes, responded, I backed it. Yeah. Thanks for letting me know. And then he went on to tag several other people that were friends of his who on my post are like, oh, thanks for letting me know. I just backed it. And then I'm like, oh, so I start like tagging either folks that are kind of in the Christian music podcast community. Yeah. I don't know if you'd reached out to or not, but I'm going to make sure they found out about it. Yeah. Not because I'm saying, I want you to promote this on your podcast, but just to say, I think you're passionate about quality music. And this is that Yeah, like he's one of the good ones. Yeah. Um, right. And I, I think just as a music fan, who's passionate about quality music, like you need to know about this.
1: And you know, I, I, we are, our, our biggest backer of the campaign so far. Uh, I, I talked to him about why, why he gave and he shared that, um, that Rich Mullins is a part of his history in terms of like when he was dating his wife, they were both into Rich Mullins and they would trade, they would put Rich Mullins songs on mixtapes. And and so there's, there's a lot of like, like just history there, but he said, you know, Rich's music is just, has just kind of cut through the noise of all the weird stuff going on inside and outside of the church. I know that there's a lot of artists and other people who are, going through phases of deconstruction or doubting or even sort of like disassociation with the church. And it's cool, very cool to see Rich Mullins music kind of transcend all of that. And so in his response to my, to my question ultimately was, I think that the world needs a little bit more Rich Mullins in it. Yeah. And, and so this was a tangible way to do, to help make that happen. and, I just couldn't agree more like with how weird our world is right now and all the bad news we see left and right. Um, I think music of an artist like Rich Mullins is just something that our souls need. And so um, it makes us more passionate to to just be a part of it all.
0: You talked about folks in the industry and out of the industry, both having a an appreciation for Rich. I shared the campaign with the guys that do the Christian Geeks classic rock cast. Nice. Which is a podcast that's normally like Blood Good, Undercover, um, you know, just the the 90s, 80s, you know, rock and roll, yeah, metal kind of stuff. Yeah. And um they had an episode that was about prayer chain shawl that just came out. And in that, they're like Oh, and we have some news about this Rich Mullins tribute that's like really not our wheelhouse of audience. But the other guy's like, well, you know what? Actually, like, no, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd say he's pretty rock and roll. Like his, his music was very CCM for its time. Right. But he wasn't. Yeah. He was very, you know, intentional about like, I don't want to know how much I'm making. Just put me on a stipend and let the rest go into ministry. Totally. You know, very. I'm just barefoot and blunt yeah with, with what I say and I'm not even concerned about like alienating audience by being politically correct or incorrect like I I think his his posture his personality was very rock and roll and, and indie streak even though he was on major labels on christian radio on CCM crowd and I think that ex- exactly it cuts through the noise has that very indie streak In him, even though, yeah, and I think it's it's what we could use today. Yeah, there is so much need for that.
1: I think that's so cool that 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 you know a a rock podcast would kind of see him in that world still. Like, and and I I've talked to John Thompson of True Tunes about this too, and he said uh, he he called Rich Mullins a punk artist Mm -hmm. um, for for the same reasons. Just like he he broke the rules. And intentionally broke the rules all the time, just because, you know, he just didn't want to be bound by all the standards and expectations and rules. And so I think he was very much a rock star, very much a punk artist and very much, you know, just someone who was authentic and true to who he was. And it's, I think that's one of the reasons why he's continuing to inspire us 25 years after his death is because, because of his authenticity to himself that he didn't try to put on a, a mask or a image. And this was in the nineties the when it was all very image based. Yeah. And and he just was like, no, nah, you know, I, I don't want any anything to do with that. And it was, I think we it just connected with us with so many people. So yeah. it's a beautiful thing to, to be able to continue to celebrate his legacy. Cause it, it impacts me and it impacts a lot of, other people and other artists still to this
0: day. And you sent me a link for a song with permission to play a clip for this episode. Can you tell us a little bit of the history of that track?
1: Yeah. I sent you Sparrow Watcher, right? Yes. Yeah. Sparrow Watcher is one he um, co-wrote with um, Pam Mark Hill and she recorded that on one of her albums. So we did that in the, in, in Rich's house with, with Amy Grant, Cindy Morgan, Andrew Greer singing the, the trio harmony on that song. The original, oh, and I should say, and Tommy Sims is a featured artist on guitar. Oh, wow. Um, who's obviously a legend um, yeah. and one of the greatest studio musicians of all time. And he he was almost in tears as to how beautiful and wonderful the experience was for him to come to Rich's house and play and just be a part of it. He was just right. through the moon about being a part of it. So the original trio of singers on Sparrow Watcher was of course, Pam Mark Hill, Kathy Tricoli oh, wow. and Amy Grant.
0: So she was on the original. He was on she the original went.
1: recording. And I don't even know that she remembered it like vividly because she, there was a, there was a moment where she was um, kind of going over the lyrics and kind of the harmonies and stuff. And and she turned to somebody and said oh this has such a warm feel like like a a very familiar feel to me and um and and somebody was like well it's because you sang on it in the studio
0: <laughs> yeah you've done this before
1: you just thought it was it it just felt like like Rich Mullins like you know cuz yeah. his music just is so hospitable. It just felt like home. But yeah, she had actually heard the song and and sang on it, and so so that's one of the deep cuts that that is fun that a lot of Rich Mullins fans may not have ever heard before. And the lyrics um, are beautiful, and we even have in the campaign we have a a beautiful photo of handwritten lyrics for Sparrow Watcher, which um, which are you know handwritten by Rich. And there's even like scratches out of like certain lyrics or things he was going to do with the song and didn't. It's just a really cool piece. And it was um, beautifully photographed by Darius Fitzgerald of the new respects. Oh, cool. He was the photographer that day. and I didn't even know that he was a photographer, but he's fantastic. And so that photo print is kind of one of the, one of the rewards in the campaign, but just a beautiful song. You, you can just hear Rich oozing through the lyrics.
0: Now, there was a video that Chris Hoisington made. And if I understand right, he actually even made it before you guys hit the goal. But it was like in anticipation of if we hit the goal, I want to talk about the stretch goals. Yeah. In it, he talked about this Deep Valley project, perhaps mm-hmm. kickstarting a, a movement to release other right. like rich material. Right, um, and you've talked about the the archive itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, How much is out there that would be of a quality that they can kind of remaster and release? I mean, are we are we looking at a an ongoing series of kind of some unreleased material?
1: Yeah, we are looking at an ongoing series, and it's such a special thing to be able to have Beth Lutz, who who really. For, for 50 years have been preserving these recordings. And and a lot of them she um, has put out on Facebook or YouTube or certain places like that, but none of them have gotten an official release, you know, ability to download it or, or hear it on, on any streaming service or physical product. And so because of the new partnership with Old Bear Records, they're going to be able to release this music, not all of it, but... Yeah, we're going to sift through and find the really good songs and really good quality recordings to kind of do a remastering of those just to kind of make it as good quality as we can and then release them in a series of albums over hopefully the next several years.
0: Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely, I know you'll you'll help spread the word as those are coming. Definitely. I will as well, just because I think, I think folks need to hear more of his music.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's an exciting time for sure.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed hearing more about this. I think the listeners are really going to enjoy hearing kind of the, the background underlying story. If they hadn't pulled the trigger on this already, hopefully this, this will motivate them to like pause the podcast, jump on that campaign and then listen to the rest. Or if they've already gotten on it to, like you said, go back and, and hit the manage my pledge and see if they can catch deep Valley.
1: Yeah. And I think that it would be fantastic. And I mean, if there's one message to, to leave people with it's that, I mean, I, I as a backer feel a little bit demotivated. If I go to an active campaign and see it's already passed a hundred percent of the goal, I kind of want to feel needed. Like, Oh, I wanted to help that get to the goal. Now it's past the goal. And I I will be honest About two things. Number one, I have personally not backed campaigns because I saw they don't need my help. They're already past the goal. And I regret it because of what you said earlier, which is there are sometimes certain rewards and physical product that is only available during the Kickstarter. And I said no to something I shouldn't have said no to. I should have just gotten in and gotten something that I really wanted to get anyway. The second thing is and I mentioned this earlier, so I won't harp on it, but we really want to just see this campaign go to the moon. Not for any necessarily financial reasons, more that I know that the team behind this is gonna be unlocking new doors of like creative output the higher this campaign goes. So that I feel totally fine asking for people to get involved, even though it looks like we don't need it. It's actually it's actually going to allow some things to happen that weren't going to be possible if this campaign didn't go so well. So, so let's just keep keep the momentum going and we want people to get involved. So thank you for spreading the word on that.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time, yeah. Dave. I look forward thank to this you. coming out and hopefully we'll see a little uh, good patron bump in the pledging after yes. the weekend. So, <laughs> thanks. Talk okay. to you later. Thanks. Okay, bye. Again, thanks, Dave, for that behind-the-scenes look at what this campaign has been like. And I mentioned getting to hear that sneak peek clip of the song Sparrow Watcher. Here is that clip, so you know what to expect.
1: Oh, Sparrow Washer,
2: lover of the flowers Ooh. you mm-hmm.
0: $20 gets you download of the Bellsberg documentary and a never officially recorded Rich Mullen song, Whitewater. $20 gets an early download of the 18-track album plus that documentary and single. For $30, you get all of that plus the deluxe CD. For $55, you get the download and documentary plus the album on double vinyl. And there are those other options that we talked about, like the handwritten lyric photoprint concert live stream, a Zoom party, beard oil, canvas prints, and even tickets to the album release concert. And be sure to look to see if you can add the Deep Valley album or back at a stretch plus level to automatically have that added. And if you were interested in the weekend, check to see if any tickets have been added for that. So head over to Kickstarter and search for Rich Mullins, or use the link in the show notes. This campaign closes Thursday, June 30th so what's one way that you can be a good patron listen to the music put out by the artists you love i mean you really listen set aside time to hear the whole project as a complete album or ep pour over the lyrics consider how the songs interact with each other and their other work Allow the insights and challenges and emotions of these songs to work their way into you. Think through the inspiration and intention of these songs. To what prompted me to talk about this as the challenge of this episode was reading the Josh Baylog review of the new John Van Dusen album that just came out, Marathon Days. He had obviously listened deeply. And poured over the songs and thought about how this volume interacted with his previous ones. In fact, the artist himself replied to Josh's review and said, quote, What I love about your review is that you totally get me, which doesn't happen very often. Though I also just listened to the Christian Geeks Rockcast episode on the Prayer Chains album Shawl, and the level of detail they went into in discussing the songwriting and even the importance of the different time signatures in the songs showed that they really listened and allowed that album to impact them. And if you're on the UTR Media email list, you get the Song RX emails with a song and a bit of a devotional and a scripture verse each weekday, and as you read those you realize these authors that write these have really listened to the songs and allowed them to speak to their lives and have pulled out important things to share with us. When you really listen, it will cause you to more deeply appreciate the artist's music, and that will motivate you to be a better patron using some of the earlier tips we've discussed. You'll be more motivated to buy their music for a friend, or to write about their music, or to share their songs in a playlist you make for someone, or to post their project on social media, or to even contact the artist or band and let them know how much you appreciate it and what it means to you. So the next time an album or EP comes out from an artist you love, I want you to really set aside some time and really listen to it several times. Deeply. Now I've got a brand new podcast feature and more artists and projects that you should know about that could use your support, all coming up right after this quick break.
1: This podcast is sponsored by the new album from singer-songwriter Karen Simmons. He's
2: become my side.
1: Psalms, Hymns, and Spiritual Songs, Volume 2, by Karen Simmons, features songs rooted in Scripture, offering encouragement and hope. You can find the latest by Karen Simmons, Psalms, Hymns, and Spiritual Songs, Volume 2, on Spotify and all major music platforms.
2: This UTR podcast is brought to you by Judson University in Elgin, Illinois. Do you have a high schooler considering choices in higher education? Judson is one of the premier Christian universities with over 60 majors and a 13-to-1 student-to-professor ratio. Judson's 90-acre, wooded campus is only 36 miles outside of Chicago, with students enrolled from 29 different countries. Their tuition is 20% lower than average college prices, and 99% of students receive some form of financial aid or scholarships. They also offer graduate degrees and adult online programs. Start with a virtual tour of Judson U's campus at judsonu.edu. That's judson, the letter U.edu.
1: UTR is going to be giving away rare vinyl LPs all summer long. Enter to win our Summer of Vinyl Contest. We're not just picking one winner. We're going to pick a winner at the end of May, June, July, and August. You only have to enter one time to be in all of the drawings. Click on the Summer of Vinyl Contest link at utr.org or in today's show notes.
0: Welcome back to the second half of the show. Now, before I tell you about this new podcast feature and share the rest of the other campaigns, I want to suggest a few things. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, thank you, and I hope you find that it connects with you. Be sure to subscribe or follow the show so you're sure to catch new episodes every month. And if you're already a subscriber and a regular listener, consider joining the Crowdfunding Christian Music Group on Facebook or following at Good Patron on Twitter to find out about all the new campaigns as we discover them. So what's this new feature I've mentioned a couple times? I've talked about wanting to do it before. It's what I'm going to call the fan favorite segment, because I'm going to have you, the listeners, share about what active campaigns you are really excited about and why. And this one is extra special for a couple reasons. It's special because it's the first time we've ever done this. It's special because the fan is actually artist Rachel Wilhelm, and it's special because Rachel was able to do an interview with Elise Massa about her current campaign. Now, please keep in mind that it's not expected to do an interview if you ever wanted to do a fan favorite segment. It's just really cool that it worked out that she was able to do that. Now, when a new campaign comes out that you're super excited about and you think you want to share that excitement with the rest of us, reach out and talk to me about it. It might become the next episode's fan favorite segment. And these will only get included as folks are interested in Reach Out, so it won't be necessarily every episode. But here is Rachel Wilhelm giving us a heads up about this interview and then her discussion with Elise Massa about this campaign and the larger issue of liturgy and the importance of the daily office.
3: Hi, friends. I'm Rachel Wilhelm, a singer-songwriter and music minister in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I wanted to tell you about a particular crowdfunding campaign I'm excited about. My good friend Elise Massa has a Kickstarter up for number two in her quartet of Daily Office EPs. If you don't know what the Daily Office is, it is from the Book of Common Prayer, and it's sort of a missal of the Anglican or Episcopal Church. It contains orders of service for church services and orders for daily prayer for your devotional life. Elise is crowdfunding for her second installment EP, Songs for the Evening with the focus on rest. Check out her first installment, though. It's called Songs for the Morning. I guarantee you'll be blessed by it. I'm personally excited about this project, not just because I'm a fan of Elisa's music and songwriting. She's a great songwriter. But because I need this project in my life. (laughs) I struggle with laying my work down at the end of the day, honestly, um, as many people do, and desire a helpful artistic tool like this one to steady me and help me focus on rest. So let me tell you a little bit about Elise. Elise works with me as an artistic missionary through United Adoration. It's a ministry that assists the local church with their artistic mission. And um, she also works at Church of the Ascension in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, as the assistant director of music. Elise uses her knowledge of uh, the Anglican tradition and liturgy to bring us songs, to carry us through prayer and devotion, and I just love that. We all need that in our lives, don't we? We all need prayer, and we all need um, those tools to to assist us in that. So I was given the opportunity to interview Elise about her project and nerd out a little bit with her about the Book of Common Prayer. So um, I'm an Anglican as well, so we just nerded out together. So I hope you'll enjoy uh, this interview as much as I did and support her campaign. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Elise, for being with me to talk about your new project. I'm super excited about it. And you are starting a Kickstarter campaign. In fact, you just started it. Yeah. How many days ago was that?
2: I believe we are on day five or six. It was last Friday
3: that I kicked it off. So I have a few questions about your project that I would love to know. and I'm sure the listeners would love to know. I'm personally very excited about it. I love the whole idea of writing songs um, for the liturgy. And I I really respect people that can write music that is word for word with the liturgy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that's super hard. <laughs> um, I tend to try to skate around that a little bit and paraphrase things as a songwriter myself. But um, I really respect those that can do what you do. So... I'm going to ask you, Elise, why were you drawn to the Anglican liturgy in the first place?
2: Well, the short answer to that is I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. Um, I grew up in the assemb- – no, I didn't grow up in the church, but when I became a follower of Christ, it was in the Assembly of God Church, and it was never said from the pulpit, but we really cherish in the AG tradition, you know, the extemporaneous prayers and praying from your heart and – um in liturgy or anything wrote felt very like lifeless and stale. The reason I even entered the Anglican church was because my husband was drawn to the liturgy. He came from a Baptist background and found the Book of Common Prayer one day. And I think he actually went to an Episcopal service and then loved the poetry and the beauty of it. And so then when we were looking for a church when we got married, um, We came to the Anglican Church in our neighborhood, and it kind of started from there. So I had a really hard time with the liturgy and the only way that I could seem to access it was through music. And so even though I was on the music team, the liturgy of the service, just I couldn't keep up with it almost. And so my ability to step into it and steep in it, because I really do think you have to steep in liturgy. You don't just show up at a liturgical church here at once and then you're like, oh, great, I love this. Um, I mean, for some people, maybe. But to really get the rhythms, you have to spend time with it. And my attention span or also the way that I connect with the Lord is through music. So I started putting music to it. And it was through the music that I began to really be able to dance in the rhythms of the words and also be able to access the deep emotion that is part of these words that we don't always um, – people who are liturgical are not always known for their deep emotion, <laughs> which is a false dichotomy, but but stereotypically – we're not associated with that. And I felt like putting music to the liturgy for myself allowed me to access those emotions that the writers knew and it just allowed me to access it more. So being drawn to the beauty and then being able to draw more out of it by putting music to it is what has helped me really embed the liturgy and the beauty of it in my life and in our family's life.
3: Yeah. Music certainly makes um, words more powerful. Yeah, I mean, St.
2: Augustine is attributed with saying that, you know, when we sing, we're praying twice. And prayer has always been very hard for me, but singing isn't. So if I can kind of kill two birds with one stone, I'm very happy
3: about that. (laughs) (laughs) Same, same, same. So what is the Daily Office specifically? Some of our listeners may not know what that is. Um, And what is evening prayer?
2: Yeah, yeah. So the daily office is part of the Anglican tradition. Um, It kind of came out of the Catholic tradition, but uh, monasteries would have fixed hours throughout the day that they would pray. And the prayers were meant to reorient people's lives back to the Lord to, you know, we're dedicating the day to him. We read that in the Psalms from the rising to the setting sun is love endures wherever. I meditate on your word in the evening. And I mean, we see this in our scriptural tradition. And so the daily office was when Thomas, Thomas Cranmer brought, uh, basically during the reformation, Thomas Cranmer took the many, many fixed hours that the Catholics had, and distilled them into a kind of best of, (laughs) is what I like to describe it. And so he had morning and evening prayer. And then as the tradition continued, then we got afternoon and compliment. So now we have these four hours throughout the day that, and when I say hours, I mean times, four times throughout the day that we pause, we reorient our gaze back to the Lord and whatever we're in, and we continue to, we basically dedicate that time to him. We remind ourselves of our identity. We remind ourselves of his character. We read scriptures. We pray. And then we continue on our day. Um, and it's just this recalibration throughout the day. Just like, you know, I'm a guitarist. You got to tune your guitar whenever you come back to play. And so in the same way, I mean, we hear this in the hymn, right? Everyone loves tune my heart to sing your praise from come thou found. I mean, that's what the daily offices really are meant to do. They're meant to retune us to the Lord so we can go about our day and flourish as his people.
3: Yeah. I remember reading on your your campaign, your Kickstarter campaign about how and, and also seeing on the video too about how uh your project is like bringing in like family discipleship, really, like spiritual formation yeah um, in the home.
2: yeah, and that was because I mean I, I already talked a little bit about my struggle with entering into liturgy, but prayer is hard <laughs> and I and I read once, I forget who said it, but like we shouldn't be surprised that prayer is so hard because the devil hates prayer. And so when we are praying and we're in communion with God, Satan will do anything to thwart that. So for me, it was, okay, if I embed these rhythms in my life, it can give me this pause. And I'll speak about how evening prayer is like that for me and why I'm doing that that album specifically right now. But also, I wanted a way when I became a mom to teach my son these rhythms of prayer. Because, however, his faith journey continues, we fall back on what we've been taught in times of hardship in times of pain. We hear all the time about the people whose memories are failings, but they can remember the hymns and or the songs that they grew up with, like I can still remember songs that I listened to as a kid when I was a toddler, going to sleep because I always had music playing, and so i I really press into this project because. I wanted my son to have access to these prayers that could, again, be embedded in his bones. And my son, just like, you know, one of his parents, namely me, has a very short attention span and is constantly moving. And to try to brave the prayers by reading them, it just wasn't working. I mean, it was an all-out battle. So, but singing them... We now could do this as a family and f- have fun and dance, and these words are getting instilled in him. And from the first album that I did with Sunrise, I'll hear my son upstairs singing the suffrages, which are these prayers of, let not the needy be forgotten, or the hope of the poor be taken away. I'll hear him upstairs singing that. That's like, good. Like he's getting the idea of intercession and remembering the poor and and these are words that have been given to us from generations of saints. So, yes, that's why I like the project and evening prayer specifically. I, I've been hearing a lot of projects about work songs, like Porter Skate has an album that is wonderful. And, and we know about like songs that you listen to to help get through your work day, yeah, or songs, playlists that you have to help you work out. Mm-hmm. and. I kinda I need songs that help me stop working. Yeah. Because when you're working, like I work as a missionary, I work as a music minister, I work as a mom, I work as a friend. I mean, I I do all these things and I need songs that are gonna help me give permission and instill a rhythm of laying down my work. Mm. And so for people who I think that's one of the gifts of evening prayer is it pauses you and, and sets this sacred boundary between the workday and going into the rhythms of the evening. And of course, I also worked evening shifts um, all the time. So you kind of have to take this as, yes, it's evening prayer, but um, you can also pray these when you're done working. I mean, no one's going to get mad at you. I don't think so. I won't. But for my son, it's like coming home from school. Like that's his work day. And I don't know about any other parents, but my son is crazy when he comes home from school. He's so wound up that then when we're trying to ease into dinner, it's like, you can't do it. Like, he's just, he's not calibrated. Yeah. And so these prayers um, are a way for us to lay down what we've done. If you're like me, when you realize that your task list isn't checked off, or you did something wrong and you don't have the ability to fix it. It kind of just weighs on you. So laying down that weight and then refocusing our attention to the Lord and how he is the light. And so the Hilaron is an ancient prayer that's critical to evening prayer. And really it's because we're, we're really recalibrating our fact to the light of the world, even as darkness is starting to come in, he is still shining and he is the light. And that's who we can fix our eyes on in this time of day and ease into these evening rhythms, so that's my take on evening prayer, and I need these songs because it's hard for me to lay down my work,
3: yeah, I mean it it sounds, sounds like, like you just explained, explained that your, your personal person to need to write songs. these songs.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, I the album's not done yet because we're in this Kickstarter campaign, but like I need this Kickstarter to be done so I can have these songs. <laughs> Help me lay down. I mean, yeah, I can sing them, but sometimes you don't have the energy to sing after a workday. You need to be prayed over. You need to be sung over. I think that's one of the beautiful gifts of Zephaniah 3.17, right? We we hear that the Lord sings over us. Sometimes we don't have the strength. We just need to be washed over in his word and in his prayers. And I think that that's what this album can do for people who are just exhausted. And I'm one of those people. So I need these songs to get done
3: well i need them to get done personally for the same reasons that you do like i need to learn how to rest you know i've been oh man i I kind of run around like a chicken with its head cut off you know trying to get all the you know tasks done throughout the day and the various jobs that i have and uh, hats that i put on and sitting down to rest is is something that uh, i struggle with i mean i'm either laying down or i'm up and i'm moving Mm -hmm. you know um I never do kind of like an in between where I'm intentionally resting, you know, and especially intentionally resting in the Lord. And and I think your album, this this new E P is going to bring that for me, like have a sort of a soundtrack to rest. Yeah. Giving me the permission yeah. and the invitation to rest. Yeah. Um and, and we need tools like that. So, so valuable. I'm so excited about it. So a lot of music is listened to as single tracks versus albums. Why is listening to this album important?
2: So the Daily Office, it's a rhythm, right? Like right. Um, when you dance, you don't just decide what beat you're going to dance on. I mean, you, right. you dance to the whole rhythm, the whole music. And so the offices follow an arc and there's a narrative to it. And so I really tried to capture that with these albums. You know, these albums aren't word for word what the entire office is, but they follow the arc of that. So each song is in its place because of the office. And when you remove part of that, it's not that suddenly your prayer is thwarted and the Lord doesn't hear it, but you you remove a piece that was placed there for a reason. Yeah. And so the first song on the album, it actually is a collect, and it's it's the it's a song that I wrote myself. But the melody is from Stephen Foster, who is, Pittsburgh claims him as a folk singer, and the melody is a riff off of his song, Hard Times. And the words are, now I lay at the altar all the work that I've done and the tasks that yet remain, and it's really just this song of permission, reminding us why we work, but that it's also okay to put it down. Ultimately, the work of the kingdom does not rely on us. We are partners in that, but it doesn't demand that we have to kill ourselves in the process. And so then the song after that is the Phosphiloron. So again, we've laid down our burdens, but now we're looking up to the light of Christ. And then when we're in the light of Christ, because he sees us fully, we are fully known. Then we can enter into confession. And confession... Um, when I was growing up, really felt like condemnation, right? Like these are different words, but they're so often linked together. Mm -hmm. And so because we are fully known by God, confession is a gift that we can enter into to acknowledge where we individually and corporately have failed. Mm. And then in giving that to him, we move on to the assurance. Now, if there's a priest in your midst, it's called the absolution, but the offices were written in really for laity, And so it's the assurance, the assurance that when we come to him, he will forgive us. Um, When we are fully repentant, the Lord will forgive us and he will give us peace and pardon. And so, and so the fourth song is pardon and peace, because when you just confess and you hear nothing after that, there's this lack of closure there. And my husband and I talk about this all the time. When he says, sorry to me, if I don't say anything back to him, it's kind of this void. And so we enter into this exchange. And that's what prayer is. It's an exchange with the Lord. Communication. So the, so the confession, absolution, and then go on. I don't have to go into every song, but it's a holistic prayer rubric. And it's not meant to be legalistic. It's meant to be holistic. And so it rounds, just as the arc rounds out a story, these rhythms of prayer round out our prayer lives. We're not just stuck in confession and feeling awful and terrible about ourselves, but we're also not stuck in pure intercession where we don't even consider the fact that the Lord may care about our personal needs. And so that's why I think the narrative is important. It is an album, not a bunch of songs put together on a common theme. It is an arc. And I hope people can hear that when they listen to it.
3: Yeah, it's a complete work from start to finish where it it does something as you listen to it from start to finish. You know, God acts in that, within that, and it's something that we definitely need. It's a way to embody prayer, especially prayer um, where we have a beginning and an end to it. Like, um, I'm thinking about how... (laughs) How many times in our lives like when we're falling asleep or something and we're praying to the Lord and we fall asleep as we're praying? Oh yeah, and we feel guilty the next morning thinking like did did I really complete that well? Did I do that well? You know? And not that we want to necessarily check off a box and feel good about ourselves that we've, you know, completed you know a b c d but this is a this is a new rich way to actually embody prayer where it's okay that we put our faith and, and our trust in the fact that there are artists out there that have given us tools to use to guide us into prayer mm-hmm. right and i love that i just love the whole idea of like being able to get my put my headphones on before i fall asleep and and listen to this ep for i don't know is it going to be 30 minutes or something.
2: I haven't timed it out actually, but it's seven songs. So I know the first album was around like 25 minutes. It's meant to be like, what do you listen to you on your commute? And so it's not an hour long because I have not been gifted the ability to pray for an hour.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It would just be too much. But I love the whole idea of like, even if you have had a, maybe you don't do it every night, but like if you've had a really, really rough day, and you just need to lay down your burdens to the Lord and, and you can just put your headphones on and listen to that before you fall asleep in rest, right? You mm-hmm. know, like I love the whole beauty of that and, and what a gift that is to the body of Christ. And, you know, the offices, I think that's one of the beautiful things about how the
2: offices were created and have evolved. You know, you can pray these individually and you can pray these in community And so some of the songs, you know, definitely lend themselves to more personal meditation. Others of them could be sung in community. The evening suffrages is, I love the suffrages. I love our written prayers for intercession because so often when I am praying for other people, I mean, I have people, we have been given a legacy of people who have gone through things and have given us the words to pray for it. And so... I am not an entirely empathetic person, so it's really helpful for me when someone tells me how I can pray for them and so that's how I look at the the Book of Common Prayer. It's like I've been given resources of how to pray for things that I have not experienced or haven't experienced yet, and so the suffrages are my favorite where you know we're praying for all these things in the world, and that is a in the book of common prayer, it's a call and response. You know, the person leading the prayer says, you know, may this evening be made holy, good, and peaceful. And the people respond with Lord, hear our prayer. And, and so that song was written in that way as well. It doesn't have to be sung in call and response, but you can. And so that's the other thing I like about this album is, you know, you can, you just like the daily office, you can pray it individually and it's beautiful. And you can sing it corporately. You can sing it with your family, and it just—it's versatile in that way. And I—and I know, like, some people would be like, "Yeah, but these are like rote prayers. Where's the space to pray from your heart?" And I have two answers to that. Not that you asked this question, but I will answer it in case you did. I—I
3: I, want to—I <laughs> want to hear the answer. Actually,
2: yeah. My two answers to that, which are not by all means ex- um, exhaustive, but the first is. That within the daily offices, there is space for extemporaneous prayer. It's written there. Yeah. And so again, we're given these guidelines of how to pray. And then as we're shaped by those, then we offer our own prayers and they can offer a, a kind of like a couch to ensure, to ensure we're not going off the rails. You know, Mm -hmm. and even this is reflected in the songs, too. I mean, like I said, that first song, you're not going to find those exact words in the Book of Common Prayer. So that's my extemporaneous prayer, but it's based in in the foundation of these words that have been given to me. Um, You can, it's the collect of the daily vocation of work.
3: Mm, Wow. Um,
2: Yeah, I think that's what it's called. And it's from the um, Book of Common Prayer, 1979, which was the original prayer book that I had. So the first part is um praying the daily office doesn't keep you from praying extemporaneously. There's space for that. But two is, you know, when we sing songs by other artists, we are entering into rote prayers. <laughs> I mean, if you're singing Chris Tomlin or Rachel Wilhelm or Liturgical Folk or Rich Mullins, like if you are singing those songs and you are singing the lyrics that they wrote, welcome to the modern version of what people were doing with the book of common prayer in a way. And so, and so that's why I laugh now at myself when I think of my rejection of liturgy because I was doing it anyways. It just wasn't called liturgy, it was called CCLI, <laughs> you know. And so um I think that's given me a lot of freedom because I can look at them as as cousins, so to speak.
3: Yeah. And I love too how um, most of liturgy is scripture. Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes, um, I'm an Anglican as well, and sometimes sometimes I forget that the liturgy is, is just enmeshed in scripture. Oh,
2: it's so cool when you sing some of these songs. Oh, I say sing some of the songs. When you pray them, and if you're singing them, and then you're like, and then you're reading the Bible, and you're like, oh,
3: that's where that came from. That's right. Yeah, I see phrases like that all the time, and it's just... It just gives me a sense of connection with with history and with those that came before me mm-hmm. um, and those that will come after me. And I, I just think it's a, it's a beautiful way to engage scripture, but also to engage art, like in your project here. I'm just so excited about your project. I think it's going to um, bear a lot of fruit. And Elise, thank you so much for talking about this. This is just fantastic i'm so excited
2: well hopefully there's a little bit for everybody you know i mean the first album that we did for sunrise was very very folk melody the, all the melodies were original in this one you're gonna have gregorian chant and you're going to have folk music of course hymnody i used the tune king's fold for the confession i mean because if we think about folk music being the music of the people yeah all these styles were for the people and so this is going to be a more eclectic album. But if you're not a uh, a huge folk with liturgy fan, but you love Gregorian chant, well, then I, I hope that the Fos Hilaron ministers in some way. Um, but I also hope that it'll expand our imaginations as to what music brings beauty in the church. Because it's all under the kingdom of heaven, so... Why not have it all on one album as well?
3: Why not? (laughs) Well, this is an exciting project. And for anyone listening, I really think that you ought to invest in this. And you can find Elise Massa and her project on Kickstarter. And um, I'm sure we'll have all the details for you in the details on the podcast. And thank you so much, Elise, for being with us. Thank you for having having me, (laughs) Rachel. I really appreciate it.
0: Here's a clip of one of the songs, Be Joyful in the Lord, from her first EP in this series, Sunrise Songs for the Morning. So you've got an idea what she's like.
2: Oh, be joyful in the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with a song. Be assured he is God.
3: It is he who has made us and not
0: we ourselves. For this second EP in the series, Sunset, Songs for the Evening, $7 gets you an early download, 15 gets you the CD, and she's got other options like a PDF songbook, the earlier project on CD, and even a house evening prayer concert. So head over to Kickstarter and search for Sunset, or use the link in the show notes. This campaign closes Sunday, June 26th. Now, if you missed out on Bill Maloney's Kickstarter campaign for his album Motherload, you are in luck. The album has changed names to here, it opens with a prayer, but it closes with a song. And he's got a pre-order up on his website, BillMaloneyMusic.com, for the CD, for $30, with shipping included. And while the Spotlight campaign was the Rich Mullins tribute album, here we've got a Bandcamp pre-order going on right now for a Star Flyer 59 tribute album to be titled Major Awards. And it's timed to celebrate Jason Martin's 50th birthday. It'll be a 15-track, limited-edition vinyl and digital release featuring Squad '50, Jesse Sprinkle, Pacifico, The Huntingtons, and more. The digital album comes out July 9th, and they hope to have the vinyl out around December 16th. The black gatefold vinyl is limited to 250 copies and is available for $25 plus shipping. And it comes with the digital download in FLAC MP3 and more. Or if you're not really into vinyl or it's already sold out on vinyl, you can get the download only version for $25 as well. So head over to Bandcamp and search for Starflyer 59 Major Awards or use the link in the show notes. Now, I want to thank Josh Balog from Jesus Freak Hideout for letting me know about this next one. Blues rock guitarist and singer-songwriter Scott Clark has been playing guitar for almost 20 years, and has been involved in pastoring and worship ministry and has been writing his own music for years, but never officially produced or released his own music. He's launched a crowdfunding campaign under the artist name Fan and Flame to release his debut EP and Could Use Your Support. Here is a clip of a song from his campaign video. gets you the early download of the EP, and he's got other options available, but you can also simply pledge any amount you want to help him fund the project. So head over to fanandflamemusic.com or use the link in the show notes. This campaign closes June 21st. Husband and wife worship leaders and missionaries Chris and Brianna Lindsay recently moved to Washington, D.C. to serve at the Mercy of Christ Fellowship Church and are passionate about writing songs that are Christ-exalting, Congregational and culturally relevant and have collaborated with their pastor to write and record four songs based on Hebrews and the Psalms and have launched a Kickstarter campaign for the EP that they have titled Our God Forever. Here is a clip from their campaign video so you've got an idea what this will sound like
3: our weakness Help us to trust our souls to the perfect judge blessing glory, honor wisdom, thanksgiving, power and mind,
1: blessing glory, honor wisdom, thanksgiving, power and mind. You are our God forever.
0: gets you an OGF sticker or a magnet and a digital download of the EP. And they've got other options like shirts, sweatshirts, songbooks, and CDs. So head over to Kickstarter and search for Our God Forever. Or use the link in the show notes. This campaign closes Saturday, June 25th. Allie Rogers has been bringing us her mix of singer, songwriter, and pop for years, but it's been seven years since her last recorded release. She launched a Kickstarter campaign to put out her latest batch of songs and to help with Shelter, which is a writing workshop that she started as the pandemic began, and to help with a book, a collection of poetry and prose. Here is a clip of her track, Red Sea, from her 2015 EP, Breathe, so you get got an idea what she sounds like.
1: I've been afraid of love, it just don't hit the me
3: anymore
1: Colors fade and flowers die $10
0: $10 gets you the early download, 35 gets you a signed limited edition paperback of the book, and she's got more options available, though it doesn't look like any physical copies of the album will be available. Head over to Kickstarter and search for Allie Rogers, that's A-L-L-I, Rogers, or use the link in the show notes. But do it fast. This campaign closes Sunday, June 12th. Canadian group Ordinary Time have been playing, writing, and recording music of faith and devotion for the past 16 years and have just launched an Indiegogo campaign for what will be their sixth full-length album of original and classic sacred songs. Here is a clip of their song Radiance from their 2016 album, Good News, so you've got an idea what they sound like.
1: Radiance of the Father's splendor In the body of a child In the night the angels cried out Oh, their praises filled the sky $25
0: gets you the early download, and you jump to almost $50 for the CD, along with the early download, and then some outtakes and alternative versions of songs. So head over to Indiegogo and search for Ordinary Time, or use the link in the show notes. This campaign closes June 15th. Mandy Mapes has been writing and recording music for years, and has launched a GoFundMe to fund a new album titled Levies. Here is a clip of her 2019 single, Bigger Than the Sky. So you got an idea of what she sounds like.
1: Sweet child of mine is playing Morning coffee in my hand Preacher on the TV praying About that happy promised land Flowers blooming up in springtime Stars dancing around the moon Summer porch swings miss them swaying How they make me think of you My love is
3: bigger
1: than the sky. And I love you more than the ocean is wide.
0: And since this is a GoFundMe, there aren't really formal tiers, but she said that $10 will get you the early download. $25 gets you a signed CD in that early download. And she's got other rewards as well. So head over to GoFundMe and search for Mandy Mapes. That's M-A-N-D-I. M-A-P-E-S or use the link in the show notes. Lifestyle and Homestead blogger Tiffany Dawn Brewer has launched a Kickstarter campaign for a debut full-length album. Here is a clip of her first single, I Will Sing. she have got an idea what she sounds like. You find beauty in my
1: brokenness You raise hope out of my greatest
3: mess A way to show your holiness Even when I don't see Even when I can't breathe
0: She doesn't have any tiers with her actual music, no digital downloads, no Bandcamp codes, no USB drives or files or CDs or vinyl, but she has an option where you can pick out a t-shirt from her website, or you can just enter a dollar amount that you want to send to help out with the project. So head over to Kickstarter and search for Tiffany Dawn Brewer, or use the link in the show notes. This campaign closes Wednesday, July 13th. I really hope that as you listen to this podcast, both this episode and episodes to come, you encounter campaigns and artists that connect with you, and that you'll follow up and check them out. And I hope today's challenge to really listen deeply to an album or EP will cause you to set aside that time to let an album really speak to you. And if you do, and it significantly impacts you, I'd love to hear about it. If you have any questions or feedback, or if you want to give me a heads up about a campaign I should know about, or if you just want to talk about something for the fan favorite segment, please reach out. I would love to hear from you. Message me on Twitter, at goodpatron, or you can email me, goodpatronpodcast at gmail.com. I am excited to keep digging into the topic of how to be a good patron, and I hope I encourage you in your journey from fan to patron. Until next episode, remember, great music doesn't just happen, so get involved. Good Patron Podcast is proud to be a part of UTR Media, an independent, listener-supported non-profit ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and found online at utrmedia.org.